I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Dugout with me, Pascal Lemaire, and my good friend, Barney Corkill. We're back after a little break to dissect all the big international friendlies and see how some nations are shaping up for Euro 2016. Uh, We'll also look ahead to the return of the Premier League and there's a small matter of El Clasico to come this weekend as well. First though, Barnes, let's talk about England. Um, incredible comeback uh, in the last half an hour on Saturday against Germany, but then defeat at Wembley to the Dutch last night. What are your overall thoughts about uh, the two matches? Yeah, it, it wasn't even too much of a surprise for them to fall to defeat against Netherlands. You beat the world champions in their own backyard with such a great comeback victory in the final half hour, but then lose to a team who didn't even qualify for Euro 2016 and have been in such poor form over the last couple of years since they finished third at the World Cup. It was, I think it was probably in a way sort of needed to bring England fans back down to earth after that Germany result because there were a few people getting carried away it was don't get me wrong it was such a good result for England and a really good performance from them as well off the ball they were really they were really sharp and to come back like that against the world champions when to be honest at 2-0 it seemed dead and buried you couldn't see Germany throwing that lead but then again I think that was as much to do with Germany taking their foot off the pedal as England really stepping up a notch and getting those goals still you can't really take anything away from that Germany victory it's just the performance against the Netherlands was it was it was nowhere near the same sort of level there were positives there were some nice moves they put together but overall it was nowhere near the level of the Germany one and especially in the final third they didn't really they didn't they didn't test the keeper enough really they you know they didn't hold on to their lead well anywhere near well enough for the first half hour. They were the were second best comfortably. The next quarter of an hour and a bit after the half time, they played well as well, and they can consider themselves perhaps a bit unfortunate with both decisions that that led to the goals. The penalty was dubious, probably a correct handball because Rose was in an unnatural position but then it certainly could be argued against and then obviously Nar Singh's winner Vincent Janssen barged Jagielka off the ball probably should have been a free kick if, if that was the other way round you probably would have said it should be a penalty as well so it should have been a free kick in the build up but still England didn't really do enough to win that game they perhaps didn't deserve to lose it but they didn't do enough to win it so certainly mixed um, emotions from both games in the international break for England but I think Roy Hodgson would have learned quite a lot of stuff from a number of players particularly I think the Germany game would have nailed down a few starters for uh, or certainly squad members for your 2016 Well yeah certainly I think some of the players that played so well against Germany they seemed to be quite you know they were very much missed last night I thought Eric Dyer he had a good game obviously getting the winner was a fantastic moment for him and then uh, the likes of Deli Ali, Harry Kane those two Spurs players they were really really good uh, against Germany but yeah I agree with what you're saying um, about England I think they were certainly a bit unlucky to lose last night because uh, I definitely agree that it was a penalty there were some people saying um, that you know Rose tried to take his hand away but he actually moved his hand towards the ball and then when the ball hit it his hand then moved behind his back so I thought it was clearly a penalty but yeah I don't know how the ref didn't give uh, the foul against Jagielk it was it was one of those ones that it just, it just looked so obvious and you could almost understand why some of the English players seemed to stop because he just looked one of those that was just such an obvious free kick. He clearly barged over Jackie Elka to get to the ball and then obviously uh, was able to put over the cross. But um, back to the Germany game, I really was impressed with uh, some of the football in that game. Like you said, the pressing off the ball, but also some of the passing as well. I thought it was uh, really excellent. And the, the goals, the way they were taken, I mean, Kane's one, you know, he had his little uh, O to Johan Cruyff with that turn and it was a fantastic finish from him. And then Vardy's one, I was just watching it like, 
in disbelief that he's done that, you know, away in Berlin, the, the way he took that to finish first time on the half volley like that, you know, and scoring three goals past Manuel Neuer, you know, not many countries do that. So I thought it was a really, really good result. And certainly, I mean, the, the performance against Germany really does beg the question that how does uh, Wayne Rooney start for this England team? I think certainly, you know, there's a case that he's the captain and he, he should definitely go to Euro 2016. But after that performance, I mean, Hodgson, he's obviously had to field a lot of questions about it, but... I think Rooney should go as the captain. You know, he's got a lot of experience. Obviously, has been a great player. But I mean, there's no way he should start, is there? No, I completely agree. I, th- I mean, I think he will start because Roy Hodgson will keep faith with his players, and really? he does like Rooney. I think he definitely will start. Unfortunately, because I think you know, you look where he's going to fit in. It's either going to be in the number nine or the number ten role, and if it's number nine role, there is absolutely no comparison between him and Kane on form this season. Same really with him and Jamie Vardy this season. If you're going on form, which you should do, then he's he's certainly not our best striker. He's probably fourth in line if you include Sturridge as well. If you look at the goals per game ratio this season, I know Sturridge is only coming back to fitness, but he's already hit the goal trail and has a good goals per game ratio this season. So then you look at the number 10 role and... That's that's where I think he will start. But after that performance with Delhi Ali and after his performances in his short England career so far and all season for Tottenham, I think Delhi Ali has to start there. There is the option of maybe moving Ali back into a deeper role, but then you've got other players who played well against Germany, who who probably deserve a role there as well. And I I, I don't think Ali would be best suited in that number ten role. And if, again, if you're going on this season's current form, then Ross Barkley is probably even ahead of uh, Wayne Rooney in the in the pecking order for that role as well. So, for, on on pure form, I think it's di- really difficult to argue for a case for uh, argue a case for Rooney to actually be in the starting lineup. But at the same time, I, I think he will be. I think Rooney will. Uh, I think Hodgson sorry will will count the experience of Rooney as a huge huge plus. And obviously, he is England's highest ever goal scorer. He's in an inexperienced team, he's the most experienced member. He's been there in international tournaments before. Can't really say he's done it in international tournaments before because the vast majority of his goals have come in qualifying. But I think that 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 experience will count for a lot for uh, Roy Hodgson. And unfortunately, I can't really see him not starting as skipper in Euro 2016. Yeah, I just think it, it would be. I mean, unless he obviously might put it out of the bag, but just when you look at the, the squad and the way some of these players are playing, I think Kane has to start. I think he's a very well-rounded striker, and he showed that against Germany. Uh, some of his hold-up plays, passing, he, he links well with midfield, and obviously he loves to shoot. Often gets the ball on target, and uh, he's been scoring a lot of goals this season. And you think that him and uh, Vardy in the Premier League—that's 40 goals, Premier League goals they've got between them. Kane 21, Vardy 19, and you compare that to Rooney's seven. I know he's had a few months out, but you just can't compare that. I mean, I think Vardy. Personally, I think he should be used in in that kind of impact sub role. I think he could really come on and uh, do some damage, like he did against Germany. Came on, scored that goal. A bit quieter against the Dutch last night. Did get his goal. I mean, it was just a tap in, and you have to say that that was down to some uh, really nice passing and a, a very good move. But I mean, do you, would you start Kane and Vardy? Well, the Vardy's the one I'm having most trouble with fitting into the starting lineup. I, th- I do think on form he deserves to start and. There was another moment in that Netherlands game where he hit a screamer from 30 yards, which was such a well-struck shot that the keeper had to to push over. And he's really won me over. Harry Kane's really won me over as well this season. I was a bit dubious. He might be a one-season wonder like a lot of people were. But he's really won me. I think he's turned into a, a, almost a world-class striker at the moment. I think he could be England's striker for a long time to come. Vardy, if he does start, I think 
the diamond we uh, England played against Netherlands didn't really work. It was a bit too narrow. So I think they go back to the the four five one formation. And if that happens, then Vardy would be in a wider role, which he's done for England before. It's just then a question: Does he beat out competition from others? You got uh, obviously Sterling looking for a place there. Welbeck's looking for a place on the left as well. Uh, Barkley could even play in a wider role. Maybe Ali could even be pushed out there if Hodgson does start Rooney in the middle. So there's a, certainly a lot of options in those in those roles um, for England. I think if, when it comes down to if you're playing a one striker out of Kane and Vardy, I think it's got to be Kane. Vardy, I would probably try and leave her into my team somehow. Even if it's onto a wider role, then perhaps that'd be the case. I see your point about coming on the sub because he's such a good hustler, but he's also really good at getting the team off to a quick start, and that could be quite important in your 2016. I don't think any defender in Europe in in those championships will in, enjoy playing against Vardy. So if you can get him on from the start, and if you can get him hustling and harrying from minute one, it could have a really good impact for England. I'd probably try and lever him in on on the right in a wider role, but he's the one I'm having most trouble with, really. Yeah, I'm just looking at the sort of five strikers that are in you know the most recent squad. You had Walcott, Welbeck, Sturridge, Kane, and Vardy, and I think I'd I'd probably keep four of those for the Euros. And the only one I changed probably is Walcott um, for Rooney because you'd expect Rooney to come back in. But Walcott, I mean, I don't think he even really deserved his place in that latest squad. He came on last night, didn't look all that good. I mean, had one chance that was well blocked by Blind, but there was another which he blazed over. And I just don't think he's played anywhere near uh, well enough for Arsenal this season really to warrant a place. I think Welbeck. Obviously, not played as many games this season, but I think he's looked quite quite sharp since he came back. And I, I do quite like Welbeck, and he seems to be the player probably who I think would start out on the left out of all of them. I think Sterling. I know you might not agree as much, but I think Sterling's had a really bad season. Pretty much every time I watch him, he he drifts in and out of games for City. Often loses the ball, dribbles you know into cul-de-sacs, and uh, hasn't scored many goals. I don't think he's had a great season, so I think I'd start Welbeck out on the left, but. I think the five strikers would be Rooney, Welbeck, Sturridge, Kane and Vardy. Are those five you'd take? Yeah, definitely. I, I completely agree on the Walcott point. I think he was very—he was obviously very keen to make an impact uh, yesterday when he came on against the Netherlands. And there was that one chance. He probably should have done better. He picked it up in a bit of space. You have to say good defending from Blind to get the block in. But Walcott should have done better. And then the other one where he cut inside. He beat his man really well, to be fair to him, and escaped with him, escaped from him. And his pace is always going to be a problem. But... That's pretty much the line we've been saying for 10 years now, and that's all we say about him. His pace is a problem. His end product isn't good enough. He did have a decent spell for Arsenal earlier in the season, and I think it was worth Roy Hodgson naming him in the squad and having a look at him, but I don't think he's done enough for club or country over, well, certainly not this season, over the last decade, really, to be to, to want a place in the squad. Those would be my five strikers, and I probably do agree with Welbeck on the left. I think he's... He's got a good record for England. He he always seems to pose a bit of a problem and he has been in good form since coming back in. Sterling, I'd be tempted maybe to move over to right, but then, as I mentioned, it'd probably be between him and Vardy. Whether you could start Vardy and Welbeck both, it's a very attacking lineup. Whether you could what start about, them both. Uh, what about Lallana? He's, he's played pretty well in those two games and is he, he's he, pushing for a start, isn't he? He's certainly pushing for a start, but I think the problem, I think he was probably England's best player Um against Netherlands him and Danny Drinkwater had a good game on his debut as well but I think Lalana, the problem is he doesn't really have the pace to th- if you're going for an exciting attacking team with the likes of Ali in there uh, likes of Kane up front and getting rid of some of the, the, the slower players the likes of maybe Rooney, Milner then I think Lalana he doesn't have the pace, he's got the certainly got the guile and the, the skill to, to get uh, to break down the fences and he would certainly be pushing for a place 
but I think he might make things a bit too narrow. I think it was all too narrow against Netherlands. And if you're gonna if you're gonna play a diamond, he probably would be in there. If you're gonna play a four-five-one, which I think would be the case, I think you've got to go for a bit of a wider man. And I know Vardy and Welbeck. They they like coming inside and they like uh, getting into the central striker role, but they'll also do the job out wide more than Lalana would. Lalana would like to come inside and then sort of maybe even get in the way of uh, Ali or Rooney in num- the number ten role. Yeah, I think just looking at Lalana's you know numbers for England, considering he does usually play quite an, an advanced role, twenty one caps, still yet to score for his country, so that's not obviously good. And I think Drinkwater certainly he had a decent game last night. He's obviously helped Leicester have a fantastic season this year. I mean, I thought. The hype was a bit too much from uh, some of the pundits and commentary last night. You know, they was, kept mentioning how well he was adapt- coping, and obviously he did do a good job. He didn't put a foot wrong necessarily, but I don't think I think Henderson on Saturday night. So I think Henderson showed more in midfield and seemed to want to get forward more, and he he linked the play better than Drinkwater did. And I think uh, I wouldn't have Drinkwater as a star. Maybe he could sneak into the squad, but when you compare how much more the sort of dynamic England's midfield. Uh, looked against uh, Germany with Dyer at the base there and Henderson getting forward when he could Ali showing some great pieces of skill obviously had that shocking miss as well Ali but I think what you're talking about and if you think Rooney's definitely going to start and then if you want Kane in there and Vardy as well then it looks like you're probably going to have to push Ali maybe and if it, well you wanted Welbeck on the left as well where does Ali fit into that I think Ali certainly the way he's been playing he has to start and I, I really think that of all the options, Rooney has to be dropped because Ali's best position really does seem to be central, where he can have a real, you know, playmaking effect in the middle. Yeah, I completely agree with that. But I, th- I think an option for Hodgson is also in a bit of a, a deeper lying role, and I think then it would come down to a question of Eric Dyer or Deli Ali. I think, to be honest, both deserve to start. I would have Dyer in a holding role probably alongside uh, Jordan Henson in the middle of the park, and then Ali in that number ten role. But if if um, Rooney does start, I think, to be honest, a, a bit of a deeper role for Ali because he's played that a few times for Tottenham this season and he played very well in them as well. Obviously, not as much of a goal threat in that position, but he, he didn't look out of place at all. He, he's got that bit of steel about him, that bit of bite that he can put a challenge in in that area of the field. And obviously, you know, Dyer, but neither of them are particularly experienced at this level, but uh, I put Ali ahead of Dyer in the pecking order in terms of midfielders, just because he's he's impressed more for both probably both Tottenham and England this season. Although Dyer has been very impressive himself, uh, I think Henderson is, pro- is pretty much a guaranteed starter. I think his energy in midfield, as you mentioned against Germany, is important for for Roy Hodgson the way they play. Um, and of course, he's the captain of Liverpool, so he's he's playing week in week out, which perhaps other players in contention for that role aren't. As far as Danny Drinkwater is concerned. I don't think he'd probably sneak into my squad. It'd be interesting to see if Jack Wilshire comes back and plays a few games before the end of the season, whether he beats Drinkwater to a role, uh, a place in the side. Um, but although Drinkwater has been really good for Leicester all season, I don't really think he's going to make the final squad. For me, that those sets holding midfield roles will be Dyer and Henderson with Ali in the number 10. But I could see Hodgson, if he does play uh, Rooney as expected, moving Ali into a deeper role because as you as you say, he probably does have to be in the side. It's just a question of fitting him in somewhere. Yeah, it's going to be difficult. And just looking at some of the players that were injured, you know, uh, Fabian Delph, he was one who's injured at the moment, but he's played quite well for England when he's got the chance. So he'd be probably competing with Drinkwater uh, to get into that into those midfield spots. But uh, as for the defence, moving on to that, I think we both agree that Klein, you know, probably seems the the best person to start right back. And then there's it's some interesting uh, decisions to be made in central defence. You know. Uh, Gary Cahill was the vice-captain, um, but he hasn't been playing all that much with Chelsea this season. Obviously, been given a chance 
uh, because of the injuries to Zuma and Terry recently. But then you've got the other players pushing for a place. John Stones, he was he started last night, and a couple of bright moments. Some of the passes he he did, you know, to you know break the line between uh, defence and midfield, they were good. But then obviously he made that you know bad slip that led to the penalty for the first goal, and he had a couple of other shaky moments as well. Who who are your two centre backs starting at Euro twenty sixteen? Yeah, this is another troublesome area. I think Chris Smalling should be in there, and I'd probably go for Gary Cahill partnering him. Cahill's got the experience. I know he's not playing too much for for Chelsea at the moment, as you mentioned, but you know John Stones can't get in the Everton team at the moment. I run. I would put. It'd probably be between Cahill and Stones for that second uh, centre back role alongside Smalling for me, and I think I'd give Cahill just about the edge. You know, Stones. He's, he is very good playing out from the back and he had some really good moments. He, he created that chance for Walcott with a fizzing the ball in and it is exciting to see him get the ball and bring it out from the fence but Smalling's also a bit of a, a ball-playing centre-back and you could do with a Cahill figure who's learnt off John Terry. John Terry would probably be in there if he if he wasn't retired. The perfect man just to clear every ball from the middle of the box was where Stones and Smalling p- prefer to play with the ball at their feet. I think that mistake you mentioned against Netherlands last night um, with John Stones, everyone said it was a slip, it could happen to anyone, but it was just another case of him taking too long on the ball. He could have got rid of it uh, a lot earlier, but he just invited the pressure, then slipped and he was through on goal, and that obviously directly led to the penalty. So the jury's still out on Stones for me. I think he will be a very good player, and I agree with the people saying that he needs to make these mistakes, he needs to be allowed to make these mistakes, but... Euro 2016 isn't really the place to do that, and I think um, I think he's he's certainly one for the future, and to an extent we should have one eye on the future with this with this uh, team in, at Euro 2016. I think we will do that, but for me, I, I just put Cahill, Pipping Stones, that's a second centre back spot at the moment. Yeah, and as for the left back, I mean Danny Rose, he was the only recognised left back in the recent squad, so he played both games. His first two caps for his country. I thought uh, good against Germany, but then I thought he wasn't as good last night. I think Hodgson could have maybe called another player up to the squad and obviously last night giving away the penalty and a couple of wayward crosses as well. But I think obviously Ryan Bertrand is probably the number one choice at the moment. He he had to pull out the squad injured and then you've got Luke Shaw, who I'm just reading a minute ago, he, he looks like he could be back to full fitness soon. So maybe he might be able to get fit in time uh, to make the squad. But would Bertrand be your starting uh, left back or has Rose impressed you enough to sort of earn that spot in the last couple of games? I think Bertram would be at the moment. I think Rose, he, he did have a couple of good games. There were moments, as you mentioned, against Netherlands where the wayward crosses, but I think also he attacked really well. He linked up really well. He was involved in most of the good moves England did. So I think he's certainly in with the shout. And if he keeps up his form for Tottenham until the very end of the season, then it'd be hard to argue against because he has been in great form for his club as well. Left back is it's a really difficult spot for Hodgson just to pick first how many of them he takes uh, to your 2016 and and who because there's six maybe even seven players who are in the running and they're all you know around about the similar level you've got Rose Bertrand Baines in with the shout Luke Shaw if he gets fit Kieran Gibbs Cresswell and then you know an outsider Borthwick Jackson from United I I don't think he stands much of a chance and Cresswell you'd probably say is out of the mix as well but I wouldn't see Cresswell doing any worse a job really than many of the above in uh, at international level because he's had a really good season. There's there's a lot of depth at left back for uh, for England at the moment, but they're all sort of similar similar level. So uh, that one's really up in the up in the air about who Hodgson chooses. I think Luke Shaw 
if he proves his fitness before the end of the season, he might even get the starting role. But that, there's a big question mark over that because he's been out for so long and it would be a bit of a gamble for Hodgson, particularly if uh, Shaw doesn't get too many games before now and the end of the season. And obviously time's running out for that to happen. So right now it does look like it's between Rose and Bertrand, but I think Shaw is an underdog and then you look at how many he's going to take you can't take more than three left backs so then you've got to think Baines and Gibbs are out of the question really so that's another really interesting question for me it would be Bertrand at the moment but Rose is, is right behind him in the pecking order I think yeah I sort of forgot about Baines because he's obviously had a bit of a weird season at Everton hasn't he sort of injured for a bit and then came back uh, got his place but then lost his place in the team uh, to Oviedo at Everton so I think Baines yeah like I say is out of it Gibbs he doesn't play all that often for Arsenal I think yeah I mean I'd probably only take if you've got two of those three fully fit I'd probably only take two and maybe give yourself more of an options uh, right back and centre back um, but as for the goalkeepers Joe Hart he's probably nailed on to get the start now I mean especially obviously really t- terrible news for Jack Butland that um, uh, he broke his ankle against Germany obviously in, just before the, uh, conceding that first goal and I mean we've talked all season about whether he should push and maybe start ahead of Hart uh, Euro 2016 we thought that Hart would get the start and then Butland uh, would become England's number one after this summer's tournament but he's not going to get a chance to even play this summer Fraser Forster he, he's now the definitely recognised number two but uh, you'd expect Joe Hart to certainly be the, the number one in, in France wouldn't you? Yeah, I think the only person who really was pressing him for a place was Jack Butler. Forster obviously had that really good run of clean sheets when he came back for Southampton and he made a few big saves uh, against Netherlands last night. I thought he had a, a decent performance, but when it comes to uh, registered number one, it's got to be Joe Hart, really. You mentioned that Butland injury. That's so devastating for him because he's had such a good season and it really did look like he was putting the pressure on Hart and maybe even in with a shout of usurping him for that number one uh, shirt. So it's really... A really tough one to take for Butler, but he will have more um, tournaments to come in the future. I think he he will be, as you mentioned, England's number one for a few years to come when Joe Hart finally hangs up his gloves. So for this tournament, I think it's still Joe Hart, but yeah, really devastating uh, injury for Jack Butland. Right, that's a pretty uh, comprehensive look at the squad we've had there. So let's have your 1-11. to uh, Not who you think Hodgson will start, who, who you would start uh, for the first game in Euro 2016. Who I would start? Okay, we've got Joe Hart in goal, Nathaniel Klein right back, Smalling and Cahill centre backs, uh, Bertrand left back, uh, Eric Dyer, Jordan Henson in the holding midfield role. I'm going to go for Vardy on the right of the three just behind the striker, Deli Ali, Danny Welbeck, and then Harry Kane up front. Nice. I agree with most. I think I agree with the keeper, uh, the back four, uh, two holding players, but I would start. Um, feels like you're kind of forcing him in a bit but I just think you've got to play our most exciting team I would play uh, I'm not sure who would be better if you put stuck on that on the right but Barkley or Ali uh, the two of those um, then I'd have Welbeck out on the left and Kane up front that's how I'd have it because I just think that if you play all those players together I just think that it will scare so many teams and even if maybe Barkley and Ali aren't don't quite have the sort of mentality to defend as well as some of the other players I think that if you play that team and how exciting that team could possibly be, I think we could outscore uh, most teams at the Euros. And I think hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Could be very, very dangerous, but um, certainly a lot of debate, especially in the, I'd say, further forward. I think goalkeeper and defence, it looks fairly nailed on. And I think, well, I just think a lot of the players, they seem to be of a similar talent and, you know, I think that it's, it's who he chooses in those four positions that really could make a difference. I mean, just looking at the odds now for Euro 2016, England, you know, given that win over Germany, they've, they've gone now. Uh, they are sort of clear fourth favourites among the bookies. France, they're obviously the hosts, and uh, they are now uh, favourites with most bookies after with some a couple of really impressive wins. They beat the Dutch 4-3 uh, and then 4-2 against Russia last night. And I mean, some of the goals they scored, I mean, Payet, he... He'd been left out by France at the start of the season. Obviously, he's having an amazing season for West Ham, but I think he came on in like the 62nd minute and then he scored a free kick, very similar to that really good one he scored against Man U in the FA Cup. That was just like a minute after he came on. So he really impressed. That was his birthday as well. And Kante was celebrating his birthday for France and he scored as well for Leicester. So a couple of really good moments for two players that are having brilliant seasons in the Premier League. So France, they look really dangerous. Germany... Uh, they're around the same kind of odds as France and obviously the world champions and they had a very uh, resounding win over Italy last night and Italy just just a few nights ago they drew with Spain uh, who were the third favourites so a couple of odd results but I mean those three are are quite a way ahead in in, in the betting and then you've got England, Belgium, Italy, Portugal those kind of teams I mean you probably would expect the winners to come from one of those top three wouldn't you? Yeah I'd imagine so I I mean back at the last World Cup I I tipped France to win this on on home soil. They got a really exciting young squad. Obviously, the uh, Paul Pogba coming through, Lavan, who probably hasn't uh, advanced as much as I thought he would in these two years, but he's still uh, a fantastic centre back in the making. Uh, Sacco is getting a regular game time for Liverpool now. He'll be in there as well. Benzema is in really good form. Giroud, obviously, not a bad back backup striker at all for them. So they've got a lot of good players. Griezmann, of course, um, Atletico mm. Madrid as well. <laughs> And you got uh, Paye, as we mentioned, finally come back in after the inter- international wilderness, and he's in really good form. So they've got a lot of good players. Germany, you can never discount in international tournaments. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but they are the world champions, and they can beat anyone on their day. Obviously, they lost to England, but then they bounced back with that win over Italy. Spain, I think, obviously, they're the European, reigning European champions, and you can't discount them because they've still got such good players and such strength and depth. But I haven't been particularly impressed with them really ever since uh, before the World Cup uh, in 2014 early they two pretty unconvincing draws drew with Italy who then flashed by Germany drew with Romania who for me could be potential dark horses to go quite far in your 2016 because they they just do not concede goals really no one conceded fewer in the entire European Championships qualifying only two goals and then 10 games another clean sheet in a 0-0 draw against Spain um, last time out so they could be dark horses Not obviously not to win it but to, to get quite far further than many expect but for me I'd, I'd probably put it between France and Germany I don't think Spain have shown enough over the last, really since winning um, the competition in 2000, um, 2012, really to be considered next to France and Germany, who have been in France, obviously the host nation always uh, gives them a boost, and then Germany, world champion. So for me, it would be those two, Spain a little bit further back, and then a cluster of other teams, including England. Yeah, and I think back to what you were saying about Spain, I mean, those two draws, even the one against Italy, I mean, by all accounts, it sounded like De Gea, like he has for Manchester United many times this season. It sounded like he had a great game and kept the scores level there. And then Italy obviously go and get resoundingly beaten by Germany. So 
Yeah, it doesn't look too good for Spain. And on 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 Romania, what you're saying there, they're in they're in a group with France, Albania, uh, and Switzerland. So that, you would expect France to be the group winners there. But Switzerland, obviously, they had a couple of you know they did okay at the last World Cup, and they're quite high in the FIFA rankings. But they they lost last night to Bosnia, I think it was. And uh, I was just I read a couple of tweets about that, and they said the Bosnia by far the better team. And Bosnia, they obviously didn't qualify for Euro 2016 because they. Uh, lost their playoff uh, to the Republic of Ireland, so Switzerland don't look too good at the moment. So Romania, you'd say you'd give them a good shout going through second in uh, in that group. But um, the team top of FIFA's rankings, Belgium. Uh, I was watching their game last night against Portugal, and I mean they had a depleted squad. Belgium, they were missing a lot, a lot of key players, uh, the likes of Hazard, Company, Vertonghen. But even then, they still had a very strong team out. And you know, Portugal, they lost at home to Bulgaria uh, a couple of nights back. Uh, Ronaldo missed a penalty and. I think they had 30 odd shots and they couldn't even uh, uh, couldn't even score at home against Bulgaria. So for Portugal to then beat them 2-1, uh, Belgium number one team in the world according to FIFA's rankings. That wasn't a great result for Belgium, but it's hard to say about Belgium because they have this such a talented squad and obviously they've done well enough in results elsewhere. I think they'd had seven wins in a row uh, in friendlies before that, but just whether they've got enough in the tournament. You look at the group there in Belgium, it looks like a real tough one. They've got Italy in there, uh, Sweden, who obviously have Ibrahimovic after, who's having an amazing season for PSG. And then you've got the Republic of Ireland in there as well. And that looks like a really, really tough group for Belgium. But do you, do you think they could maybe get quite far in the tournament, Belgium, this summer? They're, they're still a bit of an unknown quantity, aren't they? I think the rankings are a bit... Um... They're a bit uh, unrepresentative. I think I don't. I don't think they are the best team in the world at the moment. But as you mentioned, they have got such a good squad, and if they can, um, if they can get all their their key players playing at the highest level, then it, it's it's going to be really hard to stop them. Obviously, starting goal Courtois is one of the best goalkeepers in the world, and across the across the pitch, you got a really good spine with for them as well. He likes a company Hazard if he can find a bit of form, which he hasn't done for Chelsea this season. They've certainly got the players to go far in the tournament, but I wouldn't put them up there if if they were to come up against a Germany, even a France. Really, I wouldn't really back them to get too far I, I back them certainly to get out of their group I don't think this is a vintage Italy by any stretch of imagine, imagination Republic of Ireland not, uh, probably would have backed them to get through that group and then Sweden they only got through in the playoffs as well and obviously they do have the Ibrahimovic factor but aside from that you know, it's hard, it's hard to say hard to see some a one man team like that beating a team full of stars like Belgium. So I'd expect them to get through that group probably as group winners. But then it, it's really about the luck of the draw who they get after that. Then it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how far they do get because there's a lot of focus on them. There was quite a bit of focus on them at the World Cup, but there's even more focus on them now. A real chance for them to go far, probably the best chance in their entire history to go really far. Uh, in in one of these major competitions, so a lot of pressure pressure on them as well, and it's going to be interesting to see how they deal with it. Yeah, just looking at England's group here, they're in with uh, Russia, Slovakia, and Wales. It was a you say it was a pretty kind draw for Roy Hodgson's men, and I mean, obviously drawing Wales was you know a great you know it's going to be an amazing game that one. Two home nations going at it in a big tournament, but I mean, I know you you watched Wales game against Ukraine the other night. Um, much to make of that I mean they were missing obviously Bale and Ramsey their two best players was there anything you saw there that would particularly worry England not in that match no they were they played good football in two thirds but then as soon as they got to the final third 
they were pretty dire. Ukraine, they've got a fantastic record uh, defensively at home, so it was always going to be difficult for Wales to make the breakthrough, but you really, really could tell they were lacking that Bale and Ramsey quality in the final third, because there was just nothing really. Joe Allen was the man of the match, he had a really good game in the centre of the park, and then Chris Coleman described him as irreplaceable for Wales after, but you know he's only made three Premier League starts for Liverpool all season, so he's... He's he's a lot more important for his country at the moment than he is for his club, and I, I th- he's got the ability to to run the tempo in, in games. And I think Wales certainly with him feeding the likes of Ramsey and Bale, who've got obviously the quality in the final third, which Allen perhaps doesn't have, then they've certainly got the quality to hurt teams. And I think they'd certainly be in the running for to qualify from Group B. I think second place is a realistic spot for them to target. But I think if they were to come up against England. I wouldn't really back them to, to win that match, particularly uh, on the basis of that Ukraine. But as you say, you've got to take that with a pinch of salt because they're missing a lot of key players, not just Bell and Ramsey, but also other key players, the likes of Collins, Hal robson Carno, who will probably be in the starting eleven. So um, it's, it's, it's hard to draw any conclusions really from that match because they're a completely different team without Bale. Bale in particular scored most of their goals in qualifying. I think between... Bale and Ramsey, they scored nine of their uh, 11 qualifying goals, so that goes to show how important they have been to the side. So without them, you know, if they if they do get injured um, before the tournament, then I wouldn't give Wales any chance, really, because they don't have the goals in their team to make up for them. But with them, there's certainly um, that, that X factor that could see them qualify from the group, but I don't see them going too far in the tournament. No, yeah, it should be England to go through in that group, but... Um... Yeah, anyway, that's enough internationals. Um, it's only less than three months, about two and a half months till Euro 2016. Now, it should be a very good tournament. But um, let's move on to the Premier League, which obviously comes back this weekend, match day 32. Uh, before we uh, take a look at um, before we take a look at the, all the uh, all the fixtures, there's the big news that just broke last night during the England game, actually, that Remy Gard uh, was sacked. You know, Villa, shocking season, 12 points from safety, all but relegated now. But what are you... Do you think what's 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 with the timing? Should they not have just kept him on until the end of the season and then maybe made a change in the summer? Well, there's so much going on behind the scenes at Aston Villa at the moment with the whole board uh, getting changed and the review going in into the season and how the clubs managed and everything like that. I think it was always likely to happen before the end of the season. It, even if you know Remigard walked before the end of the season rather than being sacked, I think that was likely to happen. And it's a clear sign that they are now focused on building for the championship and. Um, he can't really have any complaints about uh, about leaving the club because he just hasn't. I thought it was always a really tough job. I, I didn't think anyone would really particularly want that job because they look like they've been going down almost from the start of the season. And, but then he leaves the club six defeats in a row before he left. Two wins from twenty in the Premier League, lowest win percentage in the club's history. The club's long, long history in the league. So. He can have no real complaints and you can't really blame the board for getting rid of him because it, it hasn't really worked. It was always going to be a difficult job for him, but it hasn't worked for them. And It'll be interesting to see who they bring in because it's obviously needs to be with one eye on the championship next season. You look at the names uh, that link with it. David Moyes, you know, he, had, uh, he had experience in the lower leagues with Preston, but that was a long, long time ago really. So how he'd fare in the championship will be interesting to see. Nigel Pearson is more of a tried and tested formula um, in the championship. Uh, it'll give them a bit of a bit of uh, backbone again, really. The, the way he manages the team and the way he is really in uh, press conferences and things like that. So I think 
out of the two favourites at the moment, Moyes and Pearson, I think Pearson would be the, the more tried and tested uh, choice for for championship, for getting back up in the championship. I think Moyes is probably the better manager and if he can do with Villa what he did with Everton, should they get back into the Premier League, then that would be a, a, a real plus for for Villa. So it would be really interesting to see how they, uh, they, which way they go between those two managers. Yeah, it certainly does. It looks like a two-horse race at the moment. Just uh, Just looking at the odds here with the bookies and... I mean, those two pretty much neck and neck, and then the next favourite after that, Ipswich manager Mick McCarthy, who obviously I'd I'd hate to see him leave Ipswich, but uh, he's he'd be another one in the Championship who would certainly, well, you, you wouldn't expect them to sort of do a double relegation if they're pointing to a figure like that. But I mean, Moyes, the reports I think the reports last week were that um, Villa would be the only cl- only club he'd be willing to drop in the Championship, drop down to the Championship to manage. So, I mean, yeah, like you say, it's a long time since he did manage Preston, but even though obviously it hasn't really gone his way the last couple of years with United and Sociedad and obviously it's still got a lot of experience I mean Moyes or Pearson you would say taking over a club of Villa's stature I mean obviously there would be a lot a lot of pressure on their shoulders given you know Villa never been relegated from the Premier League and obviously the, the supporters would want to get back straight away they wouldn't want you know a couple of years rebuilding they'd want to get back up straight away so it'd be a really tough job for them but yeah I mean it looks like they definitely are going down uh, this season Villa like we said 12 points from safety uh, just seven matches to go now, so it could be very soon. But I mean, the rest of the bottom three, uh, we obviously had the time weird derby before the international break, finished one all, and uh, Norwich getting that big win they got, so they're out of the bottom three now. But I mean, I've just 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 seen some breaking news a minute ago for Newcastle. They've lost their keeper Rob Elliott for six months to a knee injury, um, picked up for the Republic of Ireland. Obviously, already without Tim Krul uh, this season to a serious knee injury. It's not really going Newcastle's way, and they're the team down in nineteenth at the moment. That's a real blow for them, isn't it? Losing their keeper. Yeah, it's a huge blow, and they've had such bad luck with injuries all season. And you know that has to be a sort of a mark in the book of why they're down so low in the table. And McLaren certainly wasn't helped by those injuries. And look forward to this weekend. That couldn't have come at a much worse time with a match against Norwich at um, mm. Carrow Road coming this weekend. That is an absolutely huge match for them. The draw against uh, Sunderland it did stop the rot. So, uh, both in terms of their form and their record against Sunderland, which um, every Newcastle fan was desperate finally to end that run of defeats but again it still wasn't a victory and they need victories now I, I think the, the the manner of the goal Mitrovic's late goal um, may may provide a bit of a turning point maybe the international break game at the wrong time if they if that gave them a bit of momentum but this weekend's match against Norwich is an absolute must win for them I, I, I think if they don't win this game certainly if they lose this game I I'd, I'd, I can see them getting relegated even with Rafael Benitez, Benitez's ability to pick up points and make them tighter at the back this is such a big game and if Norwich can string back-to-back wins together um, after drawing the earlier game and keeping two clean sheets in a row going into this game then they'll they'll finally start to get a bit of confidence and they might start to get on a bit of a roll which will obviously make things even more difficult for Newcastle so I, I don't think the importance of this game this weekend can be under understated and the fact that they're really struggling for uh, uh, goalkeepers to field the goal um, for that match is another huge blow for them. Yeah, and just looking at who Sunderland are playing as well, they've got West Brom at home, and you'd say, given the way they seem to be improving of late, that's a very winnable game for Sunderland. And I mean, if they win and uh, Newcastle lost, it really would be tough times for, for the Magpies. And Palace, you know, they've been on such bad form. I think is it it's only two points since the turn of the year, I think maybe they've gotten... I mean, Palace, they're currently sitting, you know, seven points above the bottom three, which is still a decent gap, but they've got a really tough game this weekend. Go to West Ham, who are obviously chasing a top four place. So Palace, I mean, you'd expect them to probably lose that. They're certainly not out of the woods yet, are they? 
I'd, I don't think they are quite yet. I'd still be very surprised if they were dragged right into the mire, but then again, I've been very surprised with their form so far. The only team in the top four tiers of English football still without a win in 2016 is such a dreadful run of form, and it just came out of nowhere, really, because the first half of the season, they were they were so impressive, and they do need some points. Obviously, that 40-point mark is the one uh, everyone targets. The seven points still adrift of that, so they do need to pick up some points before the end of the season. I can't see it happening this weekend. As you mentioned, very tough game um, away to West Ham. Obviously, Palace generally been better on the road, but West Ham's home form this season has been pretty good as well. And it's a real chance for West Ham this weekend, I think, to get into that top four. If they win, Man City haven't got the easiest game away to Bournemouth, who have been in decent form themselves of late. So it's certainly not an easy game for uh, Man City. West Ham should take advantage of that. So at both ends of the table, that could be an important game. I think, um, obviously, I'd back a West Ham victory. And if Norwich can beat uh, Newcastle and Sunderland can pick up some points as well, then the pressure on Crystal Palace would be, would be ramped right up. Definitely would. I mean, as for the top of the table, Leicester, five points clear now after 31 games. They're almost there. Uh, this remarkable story they've done. and I mean, they play Sunday afternoon, uh, home to Southampton, so back at home you, you put them as favourites for that match but it's not an easy one for them and Spurs are the, are the team closest to them but Spurs they go to Liverpool in the Saturday evening game that's going to be a real tough match so not easy for either team is it? It's not that Liverpool-Tottenham game I think will be the pick of, pick of the bunch this weekend I can see that being such an exciting one on form you'd obviously back Tottenham to win the match but Liverpool have had Tottenham's number at times in recent seasons and there's always goals in that I think Klopp if he plays I've mentioned many times they can raise their game against the biggest team if he plays that sort of style I think they'll complement each other really well I can see goals in that one I can perhaps see Tottenham dropping points maybe a draw in that one so a real chance for Leicester again the difference really now is Leicester are always playing after with the other teams whereas earlier in the season they were always playing before so the pressure was always on the other teams we've mentioned pressure a lot with Leicester um, already this season and they've past every single test so far this is another one for them this weekend it's not a straightforward game at all against Southampton Southampton strung back-to-back wins together before the international break so that's going to be a really interesting one should Tottenham beat Liverpool at Anfield that puts so much pressure on Leicester if Arsenal as expected get a win against Watford as well they're still not entirely out of the race so it's going to be interesting to see how they deal with the pressure they'll be favourites but it's not a straightforward game by any means for the Foxes there No and I think Arsenal I think I'd put them I mean, if I had to pick one team to win this weekend, I might say them, just because they'll be so keen for revenge, I think, against Watford, given that that, that was the team that beat them in the FA Cup when they were going for uh, three straight titles there. But, I mean, the other big game, probably, you'd say, Sunday afternoon, Manchester United against Everton, uh, the last game of the weekend. That, sh- that should be a good one. I mean, we know Everton, they've been involved in a lot of good games this season, not won as anywhere near as many as they should have done. But, you know, Man United, they obviously won just before the international break, that Manchester derby. Huge win for them, given... You know the pressure that's on Van Gaal and the push now for the top four. You see, uh, City, West Ham, Man United all played thirty games, just a point between them. Uh, you, would you still say that City, out of those three teams, uh, you, you you say would would finish in that fourth spot? I still would, just because the the quality they've got at their disposal. Aguero obviously comes to mind straight away. David Silva, Yaya Torre, company obviously injured at the moment, but he's. No, that spine of the team is so strong. I, I still think the strongest in the Premier League. So if they miss out on top four, it'll be a shocking, shocking season for them, really. 
at the end, having said that, I think after this weekend, I could see Bournemouth nicking a result um, at home to Man City. I could see them perhaps getting a draw. And then, as we mentioned, West Ham beating Palace would put West Ham into fourth. So that would put so much pressure on Man City towards the end of the season. I would still say the top four as it is now, I would predict to be the top four at the end of the season. But the pressure from West Ham and Manchester United as well is really growing on Man City. They need to pick up some results uh, quickly. The thing about Man United are they're so unpredictable really they obviously big calls for Van Hal out after one defeat and then they go and win the Manchester derby it's hard to predict which United is going to turn up they they can um, pick up those good results and I've, I've had a stat before the international break they've actually picked up more points against top 10 teams than anyone else in the league all season so they're doing well against the teams around them in the table it's the teams uh, towards the in the bottom half which they're really slipping up against. And obviously Everton come into that category this weekend. They've been so unpredictable this season as well. Away from home, they've been better at home. But really tough one to call that because you don't really know which United's going to turn up and you don't know which Everton's going to turn up. Yeah, exactly. It really could go either way. That one certainly looks like a big weekend, especially at the bottom. That game, Norwich-Newcastle, like you said, really does look like a big one. But uh, over in Spain, there's a big game as well. El Clasico, uh, Saturday night, Barcelona against Real Madrid. But... This, this game probably not as big as many others we've had, many other recent additions uh, between the two, because when you just look at the table, uh, Barca, they're nine points clear of Atletico, 10, 10 above Real Madrid with eight games to go. Uh, even if Real Madrid did pick up a win here, you'd probably still say the title's Barca's, isn't it? Yeah, certainly. I, th- I think the main thing for Real Madrid, even though they come into the match in pretty good form, won five games in a row in all competitions, the form Barcelona in. Spanish record-breaking, uh, unbeaten run, and those front three we talked about so often, probably the best front three of all time. I think the main thing for Real Madrid this weekend will be to avoid embarrassment, really, at the, at the mm. Camp Nou. I think a, a, a 1-0 loss or something like that wouldn't be catastrophic for them, really. Whereas, you know, if Barcelona really start feeling this, they're 10 points clear, they've got so much confidence at the moment. If they run out 4-0, 5-0 win, which has been a scoreline we've seen on a couple of occasions over the last you know, 10 years or so in this fixture. Just real, complete embarrassment, coupled with the gap that it would put in the league between the two teams, which would then be 13 points. You know, That's what Real Madrid would want to avoid first and foremost here. A victory uh, obviously gives them bragging rights, and it's always good for them to win against Barcelona, but it wouldn't do too much for their title hopes, because I think that's beyond them now. You can't see Barcelona dropping 10 points to them or even 9 points to Atletico before the end of the season the form there and so for Real Madrid I think it's just a matter of pride now fighting for that um, in El Clasico Yeah definitely I think even if they did win it's, it's too too big a gap to claw back and I mean just looking at the Champions League draw that's certainly where their best chance of having some real success this season lies you know they've got uh, Wolfsburg uh, in the draw one of the kind of draws and certainly Barca you'd say they got one of the toughest toughest ones getting Atletico there in the quarterfinals so I think what they'll hope for is that they can get through in the Champions League and maybe hope that Atletico uh, can cause an upset against Barca there but I think that's Real's only real hope this season of having some you know, uh, big success and if they won the Champions League it obviously would be a great achievement the 11th uh, European title for them but um, I think that's all we've got time for today, Barnes. Um, thanks very much for today. Um, make sure you head to the website, sportsmile.co.uk, this weekend. We'll have live coverage of all the big Premier League games and that massive game in Spain as well, uh, El Casco between Barcelona and Real Madrid. Uh, we'll be back next week. I think next Friday we'll talk about uh, last weekend's results and look ahead to next weekend as well. So we'll see you then. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 